Um, okay, we're going to talk about what's going on right now in London. I, I, I can't imagine. It should be very, very interesting. So we're going to chat now with Christian Luprecht, who's a professor at the Royal Military College and Queen's University, editor of the Canadian Military Journal, and author of Intelligence as Democratic Statecraft, published by Oxford University Press. Christian, thank you so much for joining us. Always nice to chat. Shay, good morning. Okay, uh, what's going on in London right now? It, it, uh, to me, I can't think of anything else that would rise to a security operation of this size. Can you? Is this the biggest security operation, at least in modern times? Yeah, I mean, it's significant. Um, the London Olympics would have been significant. Um, but the United Kingdom has the, has two advantages here. One is that this is an operation that was literally decades in the planning uh, for yeah. this type of event. So you kind of pull out the plan and you roll out the plan. The biggest challenge for your plan, as with any of these plans, is always surge capacity, that there's simply not enough, not enough police officers and intelligence officials around that, uh, that you can deploy. Deploy. The other advantage that the United Kingdom has, um, unfortunately, in this regard, is, of course, a decades-long um, close history with terrorism sure. of various kinds. Um, and that London has always been a target by a number of groups, as have uh, British politicians. And so... Um, uh, MI5, MI6, uh, the Metropolitan Police, uh, the National Crime Agency, these are all agencies that are postured with sort of a very keen appreciation of the current threat environment. So it's not just about the immediate tactical response to under, to in, in, in this situation, it's also about having a domain awareness of what possible threats you might be facing because ultimately you really want to make sure you intervene and risk mitigate any of those threats um, uh, before they before. could ever manifest themselves. That's what I wanted to ask you. So there's been work uh, from the moment she passed, I'm sure, and they started putting plans and I'm sure, you know, in terms of logistics and making sure that it goes off, part of hand in hand, there's been a huge security operation being planned right alongside of that. So, so what's been going on for the last week? What kind of work began almost immediately? So you'd be collating what the threat environment might look like. Uh, you'd be looking at who also would be traveling to this type of event, who might be posing a, um, who might be who might be a target for uh, for any aggrieved or other um, other groups. Anybody who would be trying uh, to capitalize on this to send a message or so. Uh, so understanding the external threats in this case, so people trying to come into the country, internal threats that might be emanating from individuals or from groups. Um, uh, or from anyone sort of particular type of uh, of community, um, and you'd also be liaising closely with your allies and partners because under these sorts of circumstances, it's sort of all hands on deck uh, to understand sort of what the threat environment might look like, and then you would want to posture yourself effectively. Um, so you want to have um, not just a visible presence as a deterrence, uh, but you also want to have um, a civilian presence of people who mix in with the crowds um, and be able to uh, to identify sort of challenges you might face. The biggest challenge is probably, and we've seen the United Kingdom do this particularly well, um, is uh, on the one hand, a capacity to respond and isolate a threat mm -hmm. should something arise, and the other is to coordinate, for instance, among the transport system and um, among the road system. Um, and, and here the United Kingdom has, unfortunately, again, um, a lot of experience, but much of this is also uh, making sure that if there was an event uh, that you can isolate that without that having, uh, um, having, to, uh, uh, having any sort of spillover effects that, uh, that might 
um, ruin or uh, otherwise sort of affect the uh, the somber posture uh, in place. So as you said, all hands on deck, and I imagine that includes Canadian security officials and Canadian police officials and from all over the world, right? Exactly. How, how does that work? Is there one person in charge or how does everybody know what's going on? So that's difficult. So yes, so other countries can assist here, but other countries uh, don't have sworn law enforcement duties in the United Kingdom. Sure. Yeah. So they wouldn't be able to arrest individuals. They can provide, for instance, an auxiliary type of presence. They can provide a civilian intelligence sort of presence or so, eyes on the ground or so, um, uh, that can liaise back. Uh, but also in these sorts of situations, um, you don't want to be building the plane while flying it. That is to say, uh, this is a this is a scenario that would have been long rehearsed by British authorities, and so often your own people are the best people to uh, to work with um, because they know your procedures, they know your legal constraints, um, they know the way you communicate, and so much of it here is really about building out your headquarters capacity so that you have. Um, in, in, in this particular context, um, eyes and ears on the ground um, across uh, not just London, but the United Kingdom uh, with your borders, trying to understand who's coming into the country um, and being able to deploy your assets in an effective uh, way. So the biggest challenge here will be not just the people you need to have a search capacity on the streets, but you'll also want to make sure that you can intervene with prospective threats um, and send teams out doing being able to investigate possible uh, threats identified by intelligence services while at the same time continuing your planning for the event. So that's really sort of where the uh, where there's the greatest challenge in terms of how you coordinate the scarce resources that you have. From what I understand, there's probably two layers, if you will, going on right now. One of them is in your face. Like if you arrived in London at Heathrow right now, the security at the airport would be much different than it was two weeks ago. Same thing if you went to a train station. There's just an increased security presence within the UK right now. Is, is that what you would expect? Yeah, so I traveled through Heathrow yesterday, and okay. yes, the lines were long, um, but um, it, it, there wasn't, uh, it, it didn't look like there was a massive sort of security operation per se underway. But certainly in this sort of circumstance, you want to have a visible presence yeah. because a visible presence itself will have a deterrent effect on individuals. But that's where you want to be working with your partners. So, for instance, people who are, there'll be a lot of people coming into the country um, over sort of the next few days. And so you want to have visibility on people that you might not be knowing a lot about, but that, for instance, might be on the radar of, say, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, uh, where CSIS might be able to share certain types of awareness about individuals that uh, British authorities might want to question um, upon arrival in the United Kingdom about uh, about their, their intentions in the United Kingdom. Um, those sorts of types of information exchange, um, um, that would be a, a considerable help to British authorities. But much of the work, of course, is behind the scenes, yeah. because ultimately, um, this is all about risk mitigation, it's about prevention, it's about interdiction, and that means on the front end detection of any challenges um, that, uh, that that there might be to a peaceful unfolding of this event. So that, like you say, behind the scenes right now, um, all kinds of intelligence work, like checking out anybody who is on the radar as maybe somebody who might try and use an instance like this to cause trouble, knowing exactly where they are and what they're up to, and maybe even having eyes on them. Could it go that far? 
Yeah, it's really about intelligence integration, right? We saw this in 9-11. It's not like the 9-11 bombers and sort of uh, wasn't known as the 9-11 report showed. There were a number of failings of different agencies to share the right intelligence at the right time to be able to put together that large puzzle. And so being able to integrate those many sources of intelligence is, of course, when you have that many people coming in for this type of an event, you're going to have a surge of intelligence reporting. Um, so having your integrated cell that can then parse that intelligence, integrate it effectively, understand what to action and how to action it, um, that's really the critical decisions. And that's where you require considerable experience on the one hand, uh, which the United Kingdom and UK authorities have, um, a considerable network as the United Kingdom has in particular with Five Eyes countries, but also with uh, European and some of the Commonwealth partners um, and the capacity to then be able to integrate that effectively because the intelligence isn't worth much um, if you can't integrate it in a way that makes it actionable. But at the same time, you need to ensure that it's all actioned within the rule of law and within the constitutional protections uh, of people's human rights and of people's privacy. Uh, last one, and then I'll let you go. Uh, watching some of this footage with King Charles, Will and Kate, Harry and Meghan, just wandering out amongst tens of thousands of people walking into crowds, shaking hands. That's got to be, if you're in charge of their security, that's got to be an absolute nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, so that's a great question to ask. And it also brings us back, for instance, to perhaps the Christia Freeland incident recently in Canada. Politicians and these sort of uh, highly exposed figures, we also want to give them a certain amount of agency. Unlike authoritarian regimes where leaders don't mingle with the public, yeah. in a democracy, leaders often take great pride in the fact that they mingle with the very people that either elected them or that in this case they represent, that they don't want to be seen as having to be protected from those very people. And so Striking that balance, Jean Chrétien was famous, for instance, when he was prime oh, yeah. minister, of not wanting to have lots of mounty detail around him, that he wanted them to stand back so that he could interact with the people, which requires a lot more work by the security services on the front end to make sure that they can provide a safe environment in which people can then interact uh, with the public. Not to get too nitty-gritty, like, how do they do it? I don't see them. I mean, I just see, I just see Will and Kate talking to people. Like, where is the security? And that's what good security should be doing in a democracy, <laughs> where they can stand back, they can blend in, but you have constant eyes and ears. And you will see when they're out in the public, they'll always be out in a situation where you, for instance, have people with binoculars up on the roofs. You have you can scan the crowd and you can detect a threat coming before they're ever able to approach. And then the civilians uh, that you've embedded in the crowd can intervene with that individual in order to keep uh, the highly exposed political person safe. Yeah, it really is amazing. Christian, thank you so much for walking us through it. I appreciate it. 